All right. I've been really excited to talk to you because I read your blog a lot and it's something I'm really passionate about, um, the issues with pedigree dogs. And I feel like it's something that even now, even after the documentaries, there's still not enough people talking about it. Do you feel that way as well? Well, from where I'm sitting, it feels like a lot of people are talking about it because obviously they all come to me to talk about it. Um, and I still get a very strong breeder reaction on and dog reaction, dog owner reaction on social media. So it feels to me, it, it's quite good for me to have a wake up call to have someone like you say, do you know not enough people are considering this? Um, because it feels to me like they are. But of course, you know, we need more because we still need change to happen. Yeah, we're probably in different circles because, you, I mean, you're talking about talking to breeders, whereas day to day I'm talking to dog owners and also dog trainers and behaviorists. And in th those two groups, I don't feel like there's enough conversation about the issues with pedigree dogs. And yet you'll, you'll be very aware of them, won't you? Because you will have breed specific issues with some of the dogs that you deal with. Yeah, I mean... Uh, both health and temperament i mean if you're working with behavior cases mm. you, you might have issues that are causing the dog pain yeah. um which are then changing the behavior but i mean the temperament issues as well breed to breed well uh, you know also crop up yeah absolutely i probably don't consider the temperament issues enough really because i really do focus on on the health side but of course the temperament side is incredibly important as well and for the breed yeah. standards, demand, for instance, that dogs should be a bit guardy or um, standoffish with people or other dogs. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember reading a status um, by Steve Mann, who runs the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers. Mm -hmm. And it always stuck in my mind. This was years ago where he says every breed standard under temperament should just say friendly. <laughs> And that's so true. I mean, you're right. On a lot of the breed standards, it says must be aloof. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, that's not what we need in this day and age. No. Well, what is always amazes me is that every, uh, sorry, that's uh, my email pinging in. Um, Don't worry about it too much. Okay. Just, that's fine. Sorry, what was I just saying? Um, yeah. The, the other thing that often amazes me is that every person who is very connected to a particular breed will imbue that breed with specific traits that really probably people like you would just go, yeah, they're dog traits. <laughs> but, you know, there's uh -huh. always people say there's never any exception. You know, I have to have a pug because there's no other breed that's like it. You know, there's no other breed that looks at you like that or is as friendly or as wants to cuddle with you. And of course, it's just bollocks. You know, it's... <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, you, you see yourself, you get a huge diversity of temperament within breeds. Um, I used to be really hung up on that purebred thing myself. I My own breed was flat-coated, or is, I guess, flat-coated retrievers. Beautiful dogs. I'm a retriever girl at heart, I think. Um, and I used to think that they were the breed that were... You know, they were called. They are called the Peter Pan of the dog world. They're playful until they're into old age. Um, they're very sweet. They, uh, you know, free spirits, and you know, and that was lovely qualities. Always reflecting how we want to be seen ourselves as owners, of course, and um, and yet now I run a rescue. I um, have 
rehomed something like 500, 600 dogs since 2007 myself. Not a lot of people know that. And in the course of that, I've had dozens of dogs through my own doors. So I've learned to realize that, you, you know, you get an incredible variety of type. And the most affectionate dog is not necessarily that breed, or etc. So I think I would love more people to understand that because it would be able perhaps encourage them to let go of an obsession, sometimes a very unhealthy obsession, with breeds that are built wrong, that have been bred, you know, for deformity um, and have been inbred uh, to to be diseased. Um, I would love people to let go of that. This is also this really strange phenomena, which I can't really explain, of people attributing negative behaviour traits or or what I would cons- consider a negative behaviour trait to, the, to their breed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like the standoffish, but also there's people that will say, oh, you can't train my breed. These breed are, this breed is untrainable. And I don't, I can't understand why anyone would see that as a positive point. But for some reason, people are very proud when they tell you that. They are. And I, and I read something the other day, and I'm trying to remember what breed it is, but it was saying that they are notoriously difficult to house train. And I'm thinking, why would that be a breed-specific trait? Yeah, I don't, I, I can't, I like I said, I can't understand it. Um, but normally, it's it's rubbish as well. It's not true. I, I think maybe. I mean, my, my only guess is that maybe it's an excuse um, to to have that dog not trained. Well, <laughs> the way I read it is okay. That breed is taken on by people who don't aren't very good trainers or don't. <laughs> that's very rude. That's probably not true, but I just can't see that that sort of thing is a, is a breed specific trait. Anyway, we're getting away from what. I should be talking about. I know, right? <laughs> well, actually, I wanted to start off, yeah. although we're eight minutes in and and <laughs> I certainly haven't started off this way. I wanted to start off by talking about German Shepherds mm-hmm. because they are kind of the thing that everyone's talking about at the moment. Indeed. They- um, I mean, where do we start? So I, that, let's start with Crafts <laughs> because obviously the, the dog that won Best of Breed for German Shepherd caused a huge uh, controversy controversy um and then i was also sorry for cutting you off i i I was also reading on your blog that that dog then went on to win again it's honestly it's like the emperor's new clothes with german shepherds um it's the thing i think it's like i'm very obsessed with the brachycephalics the short-nosed breeds and worry an awful lot about them but the german shepherds are terribly distressing because the owners really can't see what the issues are. I was very pleased that I sort of broke the story on the blog about how the Kennel Club tried to cover up about that dog at Crufts and I managed to find the footage off the live feed of how bad the dog looked and put it on my blog. I have had over half a million hits on that blog so it's been very well viewed which is good. So um, a lot of people are talking about the issues. However, the breeders of that type of dog, and there are various types of German Shepherd, uh, loads of different types, in fact, um, but the breeders of the Showline Shepherd, what's called the West German Showline Shepherd, which is the one with the very slopey back and the very angulated back end, they honestly think that that's okay 
So they can't see the problem at all. And it is really, really frustrating to everybody outside. You know, that is not a normal shape for a canid. That that there is some evidence, not enough, unfortunately, the science that says that it's dysfunctional as well. It's certainly known to not be as efficient. They keep reverting back to what the German shepherd they, they think was bred for, which was to be a sort of living fence, so around livestock. So they need the dog to be a trotter and an economical trotter. But in fact, if you look at all the dogs that fulfilled that role in, or the breeds that fulfilled that role in real life, the livestock guardian dogs or the herders, none of them move like that, of course. So it's just, and then they end up in this culture where they all feed each other. So no one is seeing the problem. It is incredibly frustrating. And I, and I hope, really hope there is, you know, the kennel club's in a, bit of a difficult situation at the moment because it caused such a fuss this year that they have to be seen to be doing something but yep that dog went on and has been made a british regional regional champion sorry about uh balls in the background there um that's fine the dog has gone on to be um made a british regional champion under slightly different rules uh not kennel club rules in fact and it has also done very well in kennel club where it's been made up to be a full champion as well since then under kennel club rules which of course is massively embarrassing to the kennel club i think they're sort of hoping that it might go away we had a very similar fuss in 2011 at crufts over a dog then that also you know caused a huge fuss and we had claire balding on the crufts coverage saying that dog was crippled or words to that effect and the Kennel Club, again, promising to do something about it. They didn't really do much. In fact, they uh, handed over the uh, judges' training for German Shepherd judges to the organisation that actually likes that type of dog. So as the, the, the inevitable has happened, and that is that uh, a dog uh, that everybody else would consider was crippled one across it wasn't obviously just the physical side you as a dog trainer will have seen how incredibly stressed that dog was how he she was backing off from the judge very stressed very panting um and uh, again that's terrible because it's a breed that's supposed to be as steady as a rock and should be able to withstand that how do you sorry how do you find the difference between working line shepherds and showline shepherds how dramatic do you find that the difference in their kind of structure it's a massively different structure although i have to say that some of the working line dogs are also quite slopey they are much stronger looking at the back and they're not as slopey and they certainly don't have the hinged backs but there's a huge variety of type within the working lines too and also if you go and look as i did go and look at the police dogs they're not as bad as the show, jo- show dogs, but, say, the Met Police German Shepherds still aren't that great, in my view. So I think there's a huge confusion over what is and isn't working. Uh, of course, as you probably know, a lot of the police forces are now crossbreeding with um, Malinois to get a dog that is very high drive, but structurally rather sounder. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that's the reason that um, so many police forces now are, are switching over to Malinois uh, as yes, well? I think that it probably is. And it depends. Some police forces can afford their own breeding program. The Met Police does, in fact, and has a good one. Other police forces can't afford their own breeding program, so are having to depend on hand-ins. And they are finding, uh, last time I checked with them, that the German Shepherd hand-ins from the show line, they just don't make the, bre- make the grade as police dogs. Post-Crufts, there was a statement by the German... I, I hope I get, if I get this right. The yeah, German Shepherd, Shepherd Dog League. Dog League of Great Britain, yeah, yes. That's right. And they were very dismissive of Very. The they basically press. said that the dog had a bad day, but essentially that she was absolutely correct type and that there was nothing wrong with her. And in fact, it's under it's it's basically under their show that the dog has gone on to become a champion. So do you think that um, I mean, that was that just seemed crazy to me that, that they were doing that. But then there was also the the kennel club reacted in a way uh, to that. There, it there seems. has been uh, it'd be interesting to see how it turns out. There, there has been the kennel club have basically deregistered the German Shepherd League of Great Britain, but it's on a technicality, not because they like dogs that look like that. It's because they are calling the dogs champion under their show rules, which are different from the Kennel Club rules. And the Kennel Club doesn't like that, uh, which is just silly. You know, it's deflecting from the real issue, which is that these dogs are crippled and shouldn't be bred like that. Uh, so we're waiting. I gather it's not long in coming now, but we're waiting for an announcement from the Kennel Club about what they're going to do about it. I suspect they're hoping that the fuss will die down a bit and given a bit of time, they will put in a bit more judges training and et cetera, et cetera, and hope that things go away. Uh, they have they are actually funding a study, which is very good news at the University of Surrey which is looking at gait and confirmation of German Shepherds, and it's going to be over 200 German Shepherds in total. It'll probably be two, three years before it reports, but that might be what the the problem is, that we don't have enough scientific evidence. We all can see with our eyes that it's wrong, but there isn't enough science to back it up, to basically lay it on the line to these people and say, look, you have completely buggered up this dog, and it needs to go back to what it used to be. And until the science is completely irrefutable, I don't think we're going to get a result. Is the Kennel Club making good progress in, you know, when all of that is considered? Because it seems like there's a regularly at Crufts there's a controversy regarding some dog. The Kennel Club has made some progress since the first pedigree dogs exposed in 2008. But it still hasn't fundamentally addressed the core issues, which are that dog shows primarily reward how a dog looks. And they have unfortunately led to some real extremes in some breeds. And they also haven't really addressed the fact that dog breeds are trapped in very small gene pools and are very inbred. This has led to a high rate of genetic diseases and that in its turn is leading to inbreeding depression. So we're starting to see smaller litter sizes, less fit dogs. And I think, although, again, 
there isn't quite enough evidence to say definitively yet that although us humans are all living longer, despite eating junk food, we're all living longer because we have better medicine and better nutrition, even allowing for the McDonald's. Um, and dogs are not. Despite advances in veterinary medicine, despite advances in dog nutrition, the evidence is that dogs, pedigree dogs, are not living any longer. So we haven't seen that increase. And yet they have potentially. They could. I, um, the other day, uh, heard of a golden retriever that in Dublin that died age 24. Can you imagine how amazing it would be to have a dog that you loved at your side for that time? And I feel that if breeders were selecting for longevity rather than ear set or how long or how dark a nose was, there is massive potential. Dog breeders are actually really good at what they do, but what they do is not very good. <laughs> sure. Do you... Are you against the idea of dog showing or crofts then, or do you feel that it just needs to be changed in terms of what's being judged? I think there needs to be a fundamental I think there's lots of good things about dog shows in the sense that it gives you an opportunity to, to meet other people and see the dogs. And, you know, in the old days, they were a sort of a breed show, like, oh, I like him, so I'll, I'll use him on my bitch. Um, and I'm uh, talking about the dogs here, I'm saying. And... Um, <laughs> And I and I also think and looks are important. You know, we we are a looks driven species ourselves, so they do have a role to play. And you know, we do want our setters to look like our setters, etc., etc. Our collies to look like collies. And dog shows, in some way, do help that. But I do, I'm afraid, just feel that the whole premise is completely flawed. You've seen yourself, there's a massive split between the show and the working dog. So, you know, you see Labradors in, in the show ring that we all call Flabradors. Or, you know, someone said to me once, they're up and over labs, or up, uh, under and over Labradors. So the under Labradors are the show dogs that will go under the fence. <laughs> and the over Labradors are the gun dogs yeah. that can actually jump it. Well, it's not just a phenomenon in, in Labradors as well. I mean, so many of the show dogs, to me, the, look There overweight. is a real thing. And, in fact, when you see some really fit dogs, as someone I know or someone hangs out on social media that I've seen has very fit bulldogs and French bulldogs, they look and they're very muscled and they do weight pull, etc., etc. They are quite a shock to the eye because you just go, wow, but they look amazing. Um, they're accused by the breeders all the time of fighting. You know, <laughs> if you have a very slim, muscled dog, you must oh, be fighting okay. with them. Um, but obviously, we all know there was a fantastic study by Purina two decades ago now, I think it was, which showed that if you kept your Labradors on the slim side, they lived a year and a half or two years longer, and the severity and onset, uh, severity of arthritis was much less and the onset was much later so it's a real kindness to keep your dog slim and i do agree with you i think many show dogs are grossly overweight and particularly i may pull it back to the short nose breeds we very typically 
see bulldogs and pugs that are really waddling around that ring or waddling anywhere. And that is a huge disservice to them because these dogs cannot cool themselves properly because we've robbed them of the apparatus, i.e. a muzzle, to do so. And to keep them overweight is a just terrible thing to do to them. Yeah, I was actually thinking of the, the Rottweilers as well. The Rottweilers are getting much shorter nosed. Have you seen? They, if you look at the archive pictures of Rotties, they were slimmer, taller, longer nosed dogs in the main. And they're getting shorter and shorter. And something very weird has happened to the American ones. Have a look online. The American champions have got big, broad heads and then very narrow, very short muzzles. They look really weird. Yeah, I mean, I must confess... Um, I prefer the muzzle from, say, 20 years ago to the very early pictures of Rottweilers, which is mm, much more Labrador-like true. in the muzzle. But I've seen photos of horrendous Rottweiler muzzles, um, and I can see what you mean completely. That, that I don't know, I really, again, I, I just can't understand it. I just can't understand why someone would want to make a Rottweiler kind of gradually more brachiophilic especially given their purpose it's a very odd thing to do but we're seeing it in very many breeds so you see it a lot in the mastiff type breeds so the mastiffs dogue de bordeaux etc getting increasingly short faced you see even uh, there was a paper recently showing that I think the Norfolk or the Norfolk Norfolk or the Norwich Terrier had started to um, become brachycephalic they're selecting for shorter and shorter noses I have a theory about this I think dogs are increasingly considered family and increasingly considered children. And we live in an increasingly dysfunctional time, often with families under an awful lot of stress. And I think that we like the baby faces. I think we like that non-judgmental loving. And I think that having something that is more childlike, shorter face, flatter face, bigger eyes, is something that um, that feeds a need in us. And that is why, you've, as you've probably seen, the registrations for pugs and French bulldogs have gone absolutely through the roof. And as a result, there are many thousands more of these very, very flat-faced dogs running around and suffering as a result of it. I mean, the other dog, I mean, going back to Crufts, the other dog that <laughs> outraged me was the Pekingese, which, for some reason, I think the German Shepherd got so much press Definitely the that the Pekingese kind of got away attention. with it. We, we, um, we featured that dog's grandfather, I think it was the grandfather, in Pedigree Dogs Exposed, the first Pedigree Dogs Exposed. That was... Uh, the Danny the Peak and Danny won Crufts in you'll have to forgive me I might have got the year wrong 2004 2003 and we uncovered that the dog before it won had actually had surgery to open its airways so but if you look back at the historical images of Peaks they are you know historical footage of Peaks I, I, I ran some archive on my blog recently it just showed they were much more mobile sprightly little things and again that's a breed that i think that we have disabled they the breed standard demands a rolling gait if you actually look at the skeleton of these dogs we bred they are really really deformed they have very odd front legs 
and it just and very short legs too and very flat face and everyone talks about this distinctive rolling gait as if it's something that was handed down by God that peaks have uh, and that's the same with most breed standards when in fact breed standards were just made by people like you and I who some some of them knew quite a bit about dogs some of them didn't but now they've become like tablets in stone that they have to be a certain way and the peak yeah the peak's a disgrace the peak we shouldn't be breeding dogs with faces that flat absolutely categorical it's a terrible terrible thing to do to a dog and if you uh, there's just so much evidence to say that it's wrong and again it's feeding this thing that we need this sort of childlike thing of this flat face and big big eyes although i have to say not many people look at peaks and see something attractive uh, far fewer people than look at a pug i mean you, you you probably meet pugs almost every day in your working life there are zillions of them around french bulldogs too so the peak the peak was a disgrace as far as i could see it could barely move trotting around that ring is it within the rules for them to have had surgery and be judged the kennel club require you to report surgery that alters a dog's confirmation they now require dogs that have had airway surgery to be reported and they probably would not be allowed to be shown but they really wriggled on Danny the Peak because they they just basically then said at the time because I revealed that the dog had had surgery and, and pedigree dogs exposed they just did everything to keep that title in place and then said oh well just the surgery wouldn't have changed the dog's appearance but in fact it would have done because the dog's nose was done. The nostrils were widened as well, which does change the appearance. I remember at one point, I can't remember how many years ago it was, um, the Kennel Club announced that every dog that was going to be shown at Crufts would be vet-checked beforehand. And the first year it happened, there were some eliminations, but that seems to have just, from my eyes, it seems to have been completely forgotten now. I don't know if it's um, still it's happening, not every, but dogs seem to dog never get eliminated. Every before they're shown, it's every best of breed winner before it can go on to the group, which is the next level of the, of the showing. It's supposed to be vet-checked, um, but only the dogs that are on, of the highlighted breed. So that's the Pugs, the Neapolitan Mastiffs, uh, Mastiffs Peaks, German Shepherds, etc., and Columbus Spaniels uh, and, and, and Basset Hounds, etc. The first year, and the reason for this, this is my theory, uh, there were a lot of eliminations or disqualifications in that first year. That's because they brought in absolutely new vets, and the vets were quite strict about it. After that, what happened, there was a out, complete outcry about it from the breeders saying, how dare vets judge our dogs? You know, they should be judges that that judge the dogs so after that the kennel club set up vet training days at stoneley their center in warwickshire and they invited the vets and they now caught them this is what they always do with their critics they tried it with me initially and anybody who stands up and um is rude about the kennel club or criticizes it in any way gets a call or an email from the kennel club with a gent oh, come in and see us and have a chat and listen to us and they are very plausible when you first go in there when we first went in for interviews i thought hey these guys know that there is a problem and and look they're doing this and that and that and this 
But at the end of the day, you have to look at what they're doing, not what they're saying, and they're not doing enough. So the reason the vet checks have gone off the radar are two reasons. One is the vets are more friendly. So they now go, yeah, well, it's a bit of a wreck of a dog, but it's a, you know, they're now more, more conditioned into it's okay for, for the breed rather than it's okay for a dog which is where I think that first year they came in and went, that's not okay for a dog. For instance, the, you know, the Bassett standard used to demand a catropian, basically, a diamond-shaped eye. So it was supposed to have, you know, red whore showing. Um, whereas, of course, that's fine for a Bassett hound, according to the breed standard, but most vets would say it's not okay for a dog. Some of the dogs that we saw winning when we were making pedigree dogs exposed would make your hair curl. They were absolutely terrible a the german shepherds were just awful as delar obviously basset hounds i think have got a little bit more moderate so i think that the vets mainly disqualify the dogs on bad eyes the vet checks are very superficial they're not allowed to put a stethoscope on the dog they only move it like a few meters so they wouldn't have seen that 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 best of breed german shepherd across past a vet check yeah it, it passed a vet check. And I was just about to I ask about that actually. And I contacted them to ask if they might be willing to have a chat with me and didn't get any response. So for me, that just shows, in some ways, whose side the vets are on. The vet, the vet checks are very, very minimal. They don't ask very much of the dog. And the vets are not allowed to rule on exaggeration. So, for instance, if a bulldog came in with an absolutely bloody massive nose roll, the vet is not allowed to say that's a disgrace because that nose roll is going to be a haven for bacteria and fungus and it's obstructing the dog's nostrils. They can only DQ the dog if there is signs of a problem that day. So even if the dog has got really saggy eyelids... If the dog has not got a specific infection on that day, they can't DQ the dog. And in fact, there are all sorts of little tricks that they use in the showroom to stop that whore looking too red. You can put little drops in. All sorts of things they do. There's even something, you know, that they do to open up airways temporarily for for the dog so that they're not breathing heavily. There's all sorts of little tricks. One other thing that you, um, you photo- I don't know if it was your photograph on the blog, um, which was the people that were wearing the Frenchy colours T-shirts. Yeah. That you shouldn't yeah, yeah. buy a dog of, of this not standard colour. And it just, that made me so mad. <laughs> you know, that people, that Frenchy breeders or people yeah. that are involved in Frenchy, were, that's yeah, the they, issue that they're now, focusing on. I will say that there is a lot of, fad breeding for colour. So, for instance, there are non-standard colours that that there are not very good breeders that are out there and are trying to make a fast buck that are breeding weird colours uh, of Frenchies that may or may not be due to a cross to another breed and who, who are paying lots of money for it. So, But the, the, it, is that, there's, sorry. there's things like in Newfoundland's you have black dogs and you have liver dogs or chocolate. I'm not quite sure what they call it in Newfie, probably liver. 
And then you can have the Landseer variety, which is a black and white, but you're not allowed to have liver and white. And they are born. Where are they? Well, traditionally, they've always been bucketed because they're not the right colour. And I'm afraid that happens in an awful lot of breeds. A lot of these breeds, some of these breeds might have a colourway that's due to a sneaky outcross somewhere and the colours come through. But very often it's because that colour is recessive in the breed and occasionally it pops out. Like flat coats, we all think of them as being black or liver, but you can get yellow ones as well because there's a yellow gene that is recessive. And although it's not, not many dogs carry it, every now and again it'll pair up and you'll suddenly get yellow pups. Where are the yellow pups? It's like with the Ridgebacks. Rhodesian Ridgebacks, it's considered a terrible thing to have puppies that are born without the ridge. Those absolutely were euthanised when we made pedigree dogs exposed. And in fact, the Rhodesian Ridgeback Club of Great Britain's Code of Ethics demanded it, or very nearly demanded it. It said they should be culled. I spoke to Claire Staines in one of my previous podcasts, and we we got onto this subject, and um, she said... um, that um, the ridge doesn't no, cause no, health issues. Not is that true or not? The ridge is caused by a gene that in a double dose heightens the risk of something called dermoid sinus, which is a horrible little hole that appears as a pinprick in the skin, in the skin uh, on the ridge normally, and it burrows down into the spinal cord or into the neural sheath. And as a result, it can cause terrible infections. And so traditionally, the dogs that were born with the dermoid sinus were culled as well because they, it, you can now operate on it actually, but they were traditionally culled. Ridgeless dogs don't get the dermoid sinus. The dogs with two copies of the ridge gene will uh, are at a heightened risk of getting it. Yeah, that, that's absolutely categorically the science. The Ridgeback people okay, absolutely right. categorically deny the science. Until there is more science that comes and says, no, you were wrong, and of course there's always that possibility with science, at the moment where the science is that breeding for that ridge heightens the chance of um, dermoid sinus which caused terrible, terrible pain. I should say that in America, in one okay, cool. study, the Ridgeback Club there, the leading cause of death in Ridgebacks was being born without a ridge. Seriously. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, I think That's... they're culled much less often now. But that yeah, is really I... shocking, isn't it? It is really shocking. I know Claire is a huge Ridgeback fan, and right. she... As she did a podcast with me, and I, I think she so listens got, to them, so it, I, she I've, might re, she might respond in the comments. Yes, and she's and she's very so, welcome to you, and we can batter, batter swap science. But absolutely, the where the science stands at the moment is that breeding for the ridge heightens the risk of dermoid sinus. Now, what the ridgeback breeders will tell you is, oh, there was this dog that had a, that was ridgeless and didn't have a dermoid sinus, and in fact, dermoid sinus can appear in all kinds of breeds occasionally it's a very it's a sort of very mild form of spina bifida really it's the same principle as the spina bifida and it can happen spontaneously in many breeds 
there are sometimes the ridge on a ridge back is very unobvious. It can be very tiny. So the dog might still be ridged, but not actually show much of a ridge. So it would still be have that ridge phenotype as it's caused. But anyway, I will leave that and we can bash on the science in the comments later. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, to take a jump backwards a little bit, we were talking about the difference in, in colours. Do those colours have a negative effect on the dog's health, or is it Sometimes just that the they're not on the standard, so people don't so, like them? For instance, extreme white can be a problem in some breeds because it is associated with an elevated uh, instance of deafness. There is something, there's, people don't like the blue French bulldogs, and they say that's because it's a dilute colour. And there is something called, oh, I haven't got it to hand. Uh, it's, a, it's a sort of alopecia that can happen with a dilute gene. But in fact, the blue that's in French bulldogs is a different type of dilute and shouldn't cause that at all. They often do try to attribute health problems to it. But what's so ridiculous is that you know between 15 and 20% of Dalmatians are born unilaterally or bilaterally deaf as a result of breeding for that particular colourway because that is an extreme white. That's an extreme white dog with, uh, with black patches. It's not all bad news with kennel clubs because yeah. recently, obviously, there was a story with the Norwegian Kennel Club. And they have basically accepted the science and said, you know, this isn't right and we shouldn't be breeding dogs with such flat faces. And they have committed to working on the breed standards to change them and moreover working with the FCI which is the o umbrella group for the European and other kennel clubs and also the kennel club with trying to persuade them to, to introduce minimum measurements, minimum muzzle lengths in the breed standards and other measures. It's not just muzzle length with the short face breeds, it's thick necks, it's the amount of flesh etc. It's the size of the eyes, it's the openness of the nostrils, all these things also have a, an effect. So we tend to focus on the very flat faces because they're very visible, but there are other features too. And just quite small tweaks might actually really help these dogs. So well done, the Norwegian Kennel Club. Fantastic. And I just hope that they're not dismissed as complete cranks, which I... Of course, the flip side <laughs> they are is rather the Australian kennel club. <laughs> the, um, I think the, the ANKC is really tiny. They, they don't register many dogs. And I think it's they just haven't really modernised at all. And there was a very bad reaction, as you saw, to recent research coming out of University of Sydney, which, which highlighted the popularity of French bulldogs, pugs and bulldogs, and saying that the popularity was causing a welfare problem. And the ANKC, the Australian National Kennel Club, basically tried to fob it all off as, oh, the kennel club dogs are fine. The ones with the problems are all those you know, backyard bred pugs and Frenchies, etc. Now, the truth is that kennel club breeders on the whole tend to are the ones that embrace health testing. Not, I have to say, that there are many health tests for pugs or, or French bulldogs or indeed bulldogs. But they are also the ones, because the show ring rewards it, they are often the ones with the flattest faces. And if you look at the less well-bred, I'm saying that in quotes, pugs and Frenchies, you tend to find that they've got longer noses. 
which hopefully will at least help them breathe a little better. I mean, what you and I consider less well-bred is not necessarily what other people consider less well-bred. Um, I was having a conversation with Livy the other day, my partner, and she was saying about how someone came into the shop and, and was very proud of the fact that you could put a paper in front of the dog's nose and it was all in a straight line. So essentially it had no nose. Um, and, and he considered this to be the pinnacle of there really dog is. breeding. There really is. So and there's still that out there, isn't there? got to change. And the problem is the people who are breeding those breeds often focus on those breeds. So either they, that sounds to me like it was probably a bulldog, because they have a thing about something called layback, which is essentially you should be able to put a ruler on the dog's head and on the forehead so it'll and if you do that it will lay on the forehead on the nose and on the end of the the muzzle or end of the chin in a straight line so in other words the nose hasn't popped out enough to to stop you being able to do that could be a french yeah i think it was a french they, if it's I called right. but i might be wrong i might be wrong sort of bizarre turn run a mile if you hear a breeder talk about it really it basically means having a really really flat face um <laughs> it, yeah, and they, 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 these breeders tend to have pugs or French Frenchies or, or, or the other brachycephalics, and as a result, I think they just lose sight a bit of what's normal. I have ten dogs in my house. They're all well. Actually, I've got an English setter and a border collie, well, farm-bred collie here at the moment, um, who you could probably argue are purebred, if not, well, they're not pedigree, but purebred. And they've all got noses. And I don't have to think about taking my dogs out when it's warm unless it's very hot. And I don't worry about them. I should tell you, the, the real inspiration for Pedigree Dogs Exposed was the death of my flat-coated retriever, Freddie, in 2001. And it wasn't because... Now, now, well, that's it. Let me test you. If I say flat-coated retriever and health problems... What would you say, Nick? I don't mm-hmm. know much about flat coat retrievers. The only issue I could, if I'm completely guessing, I would guess because they're a large or a relatively large <laughs> dog, I'd probably go for something like hip or elbow <laughs> they, dysplasia. They are the cancer bombs of the dog world. There is only one breed that's worse than them, and that's the Irish Water Spaniel. I've, I've got a three-quarter okay. bred one of those, too, who hopefully won't keel over. But they flat coats suffer terribly from from cancer and a very specific type of cancer and they die on average eight or nine which is too young but freddie amazingly lived until he was 15 and but it was after he died that i found found out that i'd been incredibly lucky to have him by my side for that amount of time so i started to look at why that why i'd been lucky and 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 that's what really got me into the whole thing. So and I've now completely forgotten what that question was, and because the reason that I went back to it, so you had to edit that bit. What's um? No, that's okay. I can't remember the question either, to be honest. But that's the nature nature of this. So I was uh, that reminds me as well because my I've brought them up twice now. My favourite breed is Rottweilers, um, and they also have the issue with osteosarcoma well, and, and that cancer. Um, How do you go about breeding that out? Osteosarcoma is how do you get rid of osteosarcoma in rock violas? Well, I think you should probably be breeding them a little lighter 
you should be growing them a little slower. And I think that cancer is also a system, a, a problem of the immune system. I think we probably all get cancer and every dog probably gets cancer every second of every day. But they all have good, strong immune systems that recognize it and stamp on it. So as in flat coats, who've got this horrific rate of cancer. My feeling has always been that actually you can spend zillions on trying to find the gene or genes that are responsible. But at the end of the day, I think we ought to be tackling it a different way. And we ought to be making them so that or breeding them so that they have more robust immune systems. As we've inbred dogs, we have cut down on their genetic diversity and in particular we have cut down in an area of the genome known as the major histocompatibility complex mhc for, for short and that's the area that codes for the immune system and when you inbreed and are cutting a swathe through genetic diversity from doing that you are losing genes and as a result the immune system, if you can think of it a bit more like an armory where it's got pistols and arrows and whatever else, has suddenly lost half its weapons. And so I think that the system that should be recognizing cancer is now not so efficient at doing it. So how do you increase that? Well, you give them back their genetic diversity and you do that probably by outcrossing either to different lines or distinct subpopulations crossbreeds live on average about a year longer okay and there was i mean there was a statistics that um the kennel club put out about mm -hmm. uh, the long longevity of um loads of different breeds and i was looking through them and they don't really make good reading it's do they a almost really tricky one the kennel the club did a survey in 2004 where it looked see. at the longevity of all its breeds where it had enough data to, to be able to call it and they repeated a survey well, just in, two th in 2014, and that has recently reported. Unfortunately, they used different methods for doing the survey. So although it does appear to show a drop, and I'm pretty convinced that, that we are seeing a drop in longevity, and it would make complete scientific sense, the more you inbreed, the more you are hampering the dog's ability to to be vital and vigorous, etc., and to cope with disease. So it makes sense to me that they are living less long, but because they use different methods for doing the survey, you can't call it, basically. <laughs> if you've, you know, there are loads of, you know, in the working world, you'll see kennel club registered springers and cockers, which look nothing like their show parts and quite clearly have probably been interbred at some point. The the people who are bred for work and function have never really obeyed those breed boundaries. And I think that we have unfortunately got down a road where we think that all dogs should look the same. Well, unfortunately, that means there's no diversity, which means there's no genetic diversity. If no diversity of look, there's no diversity of genes either. And that is something that is really damaging our dogs. So I think that the definition will become looser. I, w I should say that people have always crossbred until, until I think about the 1950s, the stud books weren't, the kennel club stud books weren't closed. After the war, some 
numbers in breeds were, were so low they had to crossbreed to be able to boost numbers. Flat coats, for instance, were bred with Labradors after the war. And and people understood it better then. But since then, there has become this clamped down purity thang, which is is a terrible thing. There have always been people who crossbred. There's people out there doing their own thing with dogs. And now there are people, there is a movement, fortunately, coming back into the kennel club system, which is saying, you know, we can outcross and we can bring in fresh blood and we're not going to destroy the breed. The Clumber Spaniels, for instance, have had an ingress of cocker blood from a from an from an outcross that was done in Sweden. Those dogs are now back in UK or progeny or but descendants of that outcross are now winning in the UK show ring, for instance. The Irish Red and White Setters, um, with the sanction of the Irish Kennel Club, have been bred to working reds and those dogs are now back and in the UK Kennel Club system and three of those outcross dogs, which look identical to any other Irish red and white setter, qualified for cross this year. So hopefully those breed boundaries in terms of strict what you can and can't breed with are breaking down a little bit, but there's a very long way still to go. Yeah, I actually asked um, David Cunningham to come on the podcast a few weeks ago, or probably over a month ago now. Um, and obviously, David, I think, well, I first became aware of what he was doing through the Pedigree Dogs Exposed group. Um, we're back in. A great breeder who just breeds dogs that he loves, and he's not hung up on breed type or, or, or very strict definition of breed type. So he's got some fantastic dogs out there who he breeds and has a local market, maybe further afield market. And I know he has been devastated by losing his Irish wolfhound, possibly more than one at a very early age. So he is quite interested in in trying to bring in some new genes. The Irish wolfhound is typically dead by six years old. Again, osteosarcoma, like with your rotties, is a massive problem. But... And, and I heard one the other day that to drop down dead at three, we shouldn't be losing dogs at that age. It's when you think of that golden retriever that lived to 24 or that Kelpie cross that recently died at the age of 30, we should not be losing them at three years old. David is doing, David is an old fashioned breeder in many ways. He's doing something yeah. really interesting. He's just, he's not hide bound by the kennel clubs. He's just breeding good dogs to good dogs and producing good dogs. Yeah, I, I mean, I find that those stories like David's really inspirational. And it, I, I think that I used to be that purebred snob. I used to, I used to walk down the road with my flat coat at the end of the lead going, I've got a flat coat, you know. Yeah. And and I'd look at the mongrels that I met this while I was living in London and I would be a bit sniffy about them. I would be a bit snotty, you know, well, that's a mongrel, that's a cross. I couldn't feel more differently now. I do uh -huh. feel completely different. My rescue <laughs> specifically rehomes crosses that look like retrievers. And there is a massive demand. I have an enormous waiting list. And, and people are often astonished and sort of think that they should, I should be terribly grateful that they've contacted us offering a home for one of our dogs. But actually, I have dozens and dozens of people on my waiting list waiting for a nice dog through us. And 
very often they're dog, they are owners that have been really badly bruised by by losing one, two, or three flat coats to cancer too young. When I talk to people about outcrossing and crossbreeding, etc., people kind of instinctively kind of gasp because they've they don't agree with. Yeah designer dogs or they don't like the concept well, of designer dogs and that's what they think I'm talking about. If you had to choose between a purebred pug that has been bred by a kennel club assured breeder and a puggle i.e. a beagle pug cross that has been bred by someone down the road that um, uh, is you know has just probably stuck the two dogs together and is put them on uh, one of the internet sites and is flogging for three, four, five hundred quid. I'd have the puggle. I really would, because those features are more moderate, um, and yeah. because that first generation cross is statistically going to be healthy and likely to be healthier. So it depends. I, I don't. I often campaign on. I'm not campaign, but I often speak. I often challenge people on this and just say, actually, cockapoos are really nice dogs. And increasingly, there are better breeders of them out there. Ideally, you want... Uh, the issue is always how the dogs are being bred, not what they are. So if somebody has bred two pugs together because they're champions and they've won in the show ring, well, that doesn't count very highly in my book. But if someone has put together a half-decent cocker and a half-decent poodle, then I don't actually like all that big coat, but I would have that dog over the purebred pug. Where does that purity thing come from? It comes from the 1930s. It comes from eugenics that pure blood is better, is worthier than crossbreeds or mongrels. It's just the way we almost spit with the word mongrel. I used to do it myself. I used to be that person. And yet, and yet it's nonsense. And we know that purity is deep just steeped in racism and inbreeding it's lots of bad things so i'd really love people to think differently about this you know i don't care if someone is putting a bulldog together with a with a shih tzu and getting a bullshit and you know this is what you know this is what they love saying that the pure breeders love saying that and having big jokes <laughs> but why why should a purebred dog inherently be worth more than any other dog. I have a little campaign called Cruffer, which uh -huh. coincidentally, of course, sounding very like something the Kennel Club would produce. And it stands for the Campaign for the Responsible Use of Flat-Faced Animals. It's not actually just dogs, because uh, I think we have some very flat-faced cats as well, which are bad news. And it's a slightly different approach, this one, because I have been beating up breeders of brachycephalic dogs for well, it's, it's, not, it's going to be 10 years soon. And uh, as you've seen, I've been fantastically successful. Registrations of Frenchies and pugs have gone through the roof. Um, so this is a slightly different approach. You'll be aware that everybody from Asda to John yeah. Lewis to Churchill Insurance are using brachycephalic dogs to sell their wares. 
And that's because they pick up on what's popular. And that in turn feeds for popularity. So Crawford is an attempt to um, directly contact, directly pitch at advertisers and people who are doing marketing, just saying, actually, these are the issues with these dogs. And of course, advertisers and marketing people are very sensitive to controversy. So it's quite effective. So the aim is, when I have a little bit more time to develop it a bit more thoroughly, is and it's a sort of gently, gently approach. So I'm not saying you mustn't use a pug in your advertising. I'm saying if you want to use a pug, please make sure it's got open nostrils, hasn't got a really flat faced, that its eyes aren't easty westy, and that it's not too fat. So that's the aim. And because I'm hoping that by encouraging people to present better role models of these dogs, it'll help people choose better. We talked at the beginning about how dogs in the show ring, and this is certainly not all breeds, but some breeds are really, really overweight. And and Labradors, Pugs, Bulldogs, really, really quite lardy. And that's a very bad thing for dogs. So, But people are used to seeing those wrinkles of fat and think that it's cute. If we can start presenting better role models, I'm hoping that people will start to see slimmer pugs as a good thing. It'd certainly be a good thing for the dogs.